What's up? Welcome back to FBL Lifestyle Podcast, folks. So there is a change coming to Amazon. Amazon is now going to put the seller's contact information. I don't know about contact information, but seller's uh, company name and address on Amazon listings. So this is a big change coming. It has some implications. So today we have a very special guest. We have a top Amazon lawyer, CJ Rosenbaum, on the podcast today. You can check him out at AmazonSellersLawyer.com. They handle all your legal stuff if you're an Amazon seller from Amazon account suspension, suspension, listing suspension, intellectual property, attribution against Amazon, brand protection, attorneys for Amazon sellers, business law for sellers, all your good stuff you're going to find. If you need legal help, if you're an Amazon seller, you can check it out at AmazonSellersLawyer.com. We got CJ Rosenbaum on the line here live, and he's going to tell us all about the changes, what it means for you, and some tips and tricks and learn a thing or two. CJ, what's up? Hey, man, that was one killer introduction. Thanks for showing the website. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, listen, I, I, I am very proud of myself, but I would be absolutely nothing if I didn't have the world's greatest partners and the greatest team behind me, the mm -hmm. people who are, who are writing the plans of action, the Amazon appeals, dealing with the IP issues. Uh, my team is absolutely the best in the entire world. Couldn't say enough mm -hmm. great things about them. Great. Happy to hear. Well, uh, yeah, sounds like you guys are crushing it. So um, let's just dive right in. So um, all that I know is I, I heard this a few weeks ago is Amazon is now going to put sellers information and address on the listing. Um, what exactly? Um, what exactly does that look like? What information exactly are they putting on there? When's this rolling out? And what does that mean for everyone? Okay, first, it's September 1st is the date as of right now. Number two, how and exactly what Amazon's going to do, nobody knows because every time Amazon implements a new program, it's done erratically and it's always problematic and they pivot very, very quickly. This is what we're anticipating. We think it's going to be on the listing and the storefront where it's going to have the name that you have behind the account. So if you have it personally, it's going to have your name. If you have an LLC or a corporation, it's going to have that. They're going to have the address that you have with Amazon. I don't know if they're going to put your email addresses up or not or your phone numbers up or not. We just don't know yet uh, because consumers are going to want to contact you and Amazon is putting up your ID, but we don't know exactly what it means yet until it rolls out. And like everything Amazon, it's going to be rolled out poorly and there'll be pivots. But that's it. Seller's identification is coming out September 1st. So that means that, for example, let's say if I have an account under my name and my address, my address, then I could expect to be contacted by sellers directly on my phone number, on my address. That's crazy. Well, in a lot of things, I got a whole list of things that we know it's going to affect as we wow. conference this around the whole firm. So can you expect to be contacted by consumers? Yes, but it's not just consumers, right? It's other sellers. So seller versus seller dirty tricks are going to ramp up. And it's also brands and rights owners who are going to know who you are a lot easier than they ever have before. So we're expecting it to be a total storm of issues. And I'm sure that I'm not going to nail all of them. But through, through meetings with my team around the world, we've identified a boatload of things that we anticipate coming down the pipeline. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, one of the things that popped into my mind is, oh, this is good for uh, American sellers because all these Chinese listings, which we know there's so many of them, it's going to say, you know, 
the Chinese company name and address at the bottom. So it's just like one more thing for shoppers to obviously know that uh, it's a Chinese company. So what do you what do you say about that? I think it'd be a really great boon for U.S. sellers. Like made in the USA is now going to be sold by people in the USA, creating and preserving jobs in the States. So I think it's going to be really, really great for Amazon sellers located in the U.S. I think it is going to be unfair to sellers in China. But what they're likely to do, because they're super savvy business people, yeah, is head. they're going to start opening up LLCs and corporations here in the States and shifting their addresses here also. But that's going to take some time. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the United States government has made it pretty difficult to get a, a, a tax ID number for a corporation owned by a, a person or company in China. So in terms of that little piece of the puzzle, I think it's going to benefit U.S.-based sellers tremendously. I have a question on that. Uh, I'm Canadian, so does that affect us Canadians or no? I don't, well, it's the same forms to fill out, right? Mm. You create a corporation, which really is like easy. You can do it in a phone call. We don't even do it for sellers anymore. We just give them a phone number to call. But then there's an IRS form you have to fill out to get a tax ID number, and you have to give certain documents behind it. And just from what I'm seeing, it's a lot easier for Canadians to get it than people and companies located in China. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Okay. So, um, yeah, very interesting. So that contact information is going to be um, on there. Um, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, you know, to anyone listening, newbie, newbies uh, coming on here. Um, yes, this is this is a boost. This is a cool thing. If you're, you know, U.S. or from a Western country, it's definitely a bonus. Um, but uh, again, back taking a step back, having the best product possible, that's going to be the most thing that's going to give you a boost in sales, not this little address thing. So don't think that uh, this is a, a hack that's going to make selling on Amazon uh, easier sure. or, or your sales are going to go way up or something like that. Um, cool. Um, what's, what's the next topic you had uh, on the notepad? Well, you brought up a strange, you brought up a great issue, like having the best products and selling them, right? Mm -hmm. So as a lot of Amazon sellers sort of mature in the industry, they develop their own private label brands and they start selling a better mousetrap under their own name. So for those sellers, this could be a really great thing because they're going to be able to identify the hijackers and the counterfeiters or even their own retailers who are selling their products on Amazon potentially without their permission or outside their agreement. Mm -hmm. So if you're a private label seller or you're a brand, right, this is also a really good thing. If you're a seller who only sells other companies' products, this could be bad because now those brands are going to know exactly who you are and where you are. Mm. Like, you know, just the anonymity of Amazon is going yeah. away a little bit. And for yeah. big sellers, you know, big, most big, big sellers try to remain anonymous, you know, they don't want to draw attention. And, and this is certainly problematic. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> yeah, name and I'm, yeah, I'm curious if they're going to put like the actual street address or maybe just the zip code or maybe you know, full name or just last name or whatever. Um, anyway, very interesting. Um, okay, cool. Um, yeah, what what else? Well, what's next? What other topics did you want to talk about? All right. So the number one cause of a suspension, either an account suspension or a listing suspension, is Amazon's inauthentic, right? Amazon, Amazon wants copies of your invoices, right? So invoices will often be made out to different addresses than the ones that are maintained with Amazon, right? 
So if they don't match at the outset, is Amazon going to reject them? Or if you have like your home address, whether you're a business or, you know, under a person, right? And now you move that to a, a business address so consumers don't know where you live. Are invoices with the old address going to fly? So like the number one thing Amazon sellers need to provide Amazon with invoices have now another potential time bomb in them because the addresses aren't going to match up. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Take note, everybody. So get, get, get prepared and, and, you know, make sure addresses uh, uh, line up. Okay, cool. Um, what's next? Yes. I guess that's going to push a lot of people that have currently account under their name to change that into an LLC. Yeah, I think LLCs are going to explode. Also, mm -hmm. you know, as sellers start creating new LLCs, it's a great time to buy insurance. You know, Amazon requires you to have uh, liability coverage. Oh. And uh, I always, always across the board, only trust one insurance broker when it comes to this. Her name's Ashlyn Haddon. She's in Indiana. She focuses on, on our industry and she's great, but create LLCs, create corporations, get the insurance, you know, who pays if anyone gets hurt and also hires lawyers for you if you get in trouble. Sorry, what's her name? Uh, Ashlyn, A-S-H-L-I-N, Haddon, H-A-D-D-E-N. Does she have a website? Yeah, I think it's Ashlyn Haddon Insurance or it might be, uh, might be Ecom Insure. I'm not sure the name of the domain, but Ashlyn okay, Haddon. I'll go there, okay. Check the links in bio. Folks listening on podcast platforms and YouTube. On that note, if you're on one of those, go check out the other one, subscribe. And if you're still listening, uh, thanks for listening this far. Go ahead and give it a like, share with your friends if, uh, if they're Amazon sellers are going to be because they're going to need to know this stuff. All right. Um, what else? Uh, what's uh, Any more tips and tricks? Okay. I think another thing you need to know about is – most, you know, most Amazon sellers are selling other brands' products, right? They're acting as a traditional retailer. They're getting their products from, from other sources. And then you got law firms like, like Voris who sends them these ridiculous threatening letters, right? And Voris used to have to do a whole lot of legwork to find you. Now they're going to have your address right at the outset. You know, also if you're selling like, you know, sunglasses and you're buying your products through sort of brick and mortar channels, and then funneling them onto Amazon, you better watch out because your relationships are certainly going to be an issue when your source didn't realize you were selling on Amazon or you told them you weren't selling on Amazon and you really are. Mm. Um, so this disclosure is, uh, is certainly going to be problematic. And it kind of feels a bit like Amazon is sort of kind of cleaning the ranks a little bit. Like they're going to wipe out a lot of sellers, you know, who uh, their sources don't want them selling. Mm -hmm. or open them up to IP complaints or even open them up to, to litigation potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that. With They're, they're going really hard with trying to avoid uh, um, counterfeits <clears throat> and, um, and copycats and, uh, yeah, people who are maybe doing gray hat selling, the sellers who shouldn't be selling the stuff that they're selling. Um, so yeah, it definitely sounds like Amazon is, is kind of clean in house trying to get organized. Um, you know, they just released their, their, um, tracking system where you have a specific QR code that tracks to try to prevent counterfeits. Um, but, um, okay. Um, 
So what would you say are um, some of the other uh, common things or, or tips and tricks that uh, sellers should know? Well, I think in terms of planning for the future, Lorenzo brought this up, not sure if it was before we started recording or not, about sourcing products in India. Mm -hmm. uh, the IndiaSourcingTrip.com is, is a tremendous source of information there. But if you're selling other branded products and Amazon is following this line where, you know, consumer centric first and then brand centric, right? I think sellers should really consider start developing their own brand if they're not doing already. Develop a private label brand. Lorenzo can touch upon what goes on around the world in terms of sourcing products. But if you haven't started already, man, now is the time. Mm -hmm. So we all know about Amazon brand registry. Um, so, you know, everyone should do that. Uh, have a um, have a LLC, uh, you know. Um, aside from that, if if someone's just you know a regular private label seller, um, anything else that they should that they should have uh, legal wise to protect themselves. Obviously, you need a trademarked uh, brand name, but like anything else, there's a lot of things actually. I can, I'll, I'll boil it down to a couple of things. Mm -hmm. I would say number one. Take your IP rights and own them in a company that has nothing to do with Amazon and then have that company license it back to your seller's company. So you really mm. need two companies. Number two, you got to have insurance. Contact Ashlyn, get insurance. Number three, you need to do electronic uh, listing uh, uh, watch uh, monitoring. You need to monitor your listings electronically. We have special software that was built for us to monitor listings so you know instantaneously who is selling your product. And now you'll be able to scrape the data to reach out to them, you know, mm. through Amazon providing that information. You don't longer have to go through just Amazon system. You're going to know who, what, where, you know, all their details to point out to them why they shouldn't be selling your products. Is so, that software available for the public or just strictly for you, you guys use only? Uh, it's for our use only, but we have a good deal with the company that provides it and they keep sort of editing it for us. So if, if any of your listeners, any of your viewers, you know, want to reach out to the company that, that we use their software, it probably won't be the exact version that we're using because we've had it, you know, rewritten and made better mm -hmm. for our purposes. So sure. we do a ton of private label brand protection. Okay. Uh, but I'm happy to put you in touch with the principal. He could probably work something out with your viewers also. Yes, please. Yes. Okay, cool. Okay. So, um, okay. Private label brand protection. So IP rights, uh, separate company for that and insurance. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm sure you have some sort of uh, resource or blog post about that, uh, on your website. Yeah, we do. If you go to our website, you click on the brand protection, uh, you'll see tons of stuff. We have, I don't know, probably a, a couple of hundred different videos specifically on how private label sellers can protect their sales when you put your heart your soul and your blood sweat your tears into building your yeah. own brand then you get a hijacker um so yeah we have a lot of information out to sellers how you can help yourselves yeah so for people that don't know um what is hijacking uh how does that work um and yeah what exactly is that for newbies okay so if you're a private label seller and you're selling your product and it comes with like a warranty that only you can deliver, right? Or a post sale benefit that only you can deliver. And then somebody else starts selling it. They have hijacked your listing. They're hijacking your sales. And the main issue is that the consumer is not receiving the same thing the consumer would receive if they bought the product from you, not the same warranty, 
not the same quality control, not the same post-sale benefits. So we refer to those people as hijackers. And uh, what we do is we monitor electronically. We monitor every one of your listings. When we see a hijacker who's selling your product and the consumer is not receiving the same thing, we reach out to them and we try and uh, amicably persuade them to stop selling your product. And those negotiations take a million different forms. And, you know, when it's necessary and only when it's necessary, you know, then we'll make an IP complaint on Amazon. But we really try to avoid that. You know, we're here to help sellers. We're not here to needlessly put sellers out of business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, to be clear, so the hijacking means someone else um, went into their seller central and clicked add product and put in your ASIN. And so that means they're, um, they're on your same listing uh, as another seller. They're on the buy box basically. So, so when a shopper comes to your listing, the unit, the sale will go to them as another um, seller on the buy box, assuming they have the lowest price and they will get the sale. You will not get the sale. Is that right? That's exactly it. Now, this goes on with millions and millions of products where the consumer is receiving identical product, identical warranty. Okay. And we have nothing against that. In fact, a significant portion of our clients are selling other branded products with the same warranty, same quality control, same everything. But as sellers have developed their private label brands, we teach them how to build something into their product that other sellers cannot deliver. And we sort of put a wall up between the private label seller and everybody else to Mm. protect the consumer and protect your sales. In fact, I find it remarkable how big brands haven't figured this out yet. Uh, But private label sellers, we can do it for you. Question, CJ. So the obvious question that everyone asks, and even when I'm when attending all these uh, events and conferences, the obvious question is, why is Amazon not doing anything to, to protect and prevent uh, hijackers? I mean, that's, that's the first thing. It doesn't take a genius to, to, to realize that this is a major issue that everyone asks, but why is Amazon not doing anything towards that? Well, Amazon does do something towards it, actually. Um, the law is called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, okay. and it was created out of the Napster days to protect platforms, right? So as long as Amazon, eBay, Etsy, Newegg, you know, Jet, as long as they have what's called the takedown mechanism, the platform avoids responsibility or liability. So Amazon actually exploded this thing and allows anybody to make any complaint and they take down the seller, which is a, is a lot of abuse on Amazon. You know, mm-hmm. sellers get a boatload of baseless intellectual property right complaints. So Amazon's made the system ridiculously easy. Uh, What we do for our private label sellers is that we don't want to hurt sellers who are selling the same exact thing, is that first we make sure there's something that the private label seller is delivering that nobody else can deliver, and then we try and get the hijackers to stop selling amicably. You know, I can't tell you how how many phone calls and how many individual emails go out every week just to talk to sellers, just to communicate with them, you know, why they should stop selling, you know, this private label brand. Go on, go ahead, sell Nike, sell Under Armour, sell Swingline, okay? Sell Bic Pens. They don't do anything to protect their brand sales. But in this product, this is what you can't deliver to consumers. So we're very careful to make sure that we do it the right way and we don't needlessly hurt any sellers. And we also, uh, while protecting the private label brands, 
we're super careful not to ever needlessly harm a seller. Mm -hmm. And what are those things that a private label seller can do uh, to make sure they're delivering that, those things that uh, no one else can deliver? Okay, I'll give you an example. And we copied this, okay? Listen, I don't purport to be a genius, but I recognize really sure. smart people, okay? Gustav sure. um, Cutlery um, are these really high-end German steak knives that are built with really nice wood. And it's actually screws that hold the knives and the handles together. And if you buy one of their knives from an authorized seller and there's some, something wrong with it, they actually take it and send it back to Germany for repair at the original factory. No third-party seller can do that. They just don't have access to the factory. So like a repair provision in your warranty to send it back to the factory to fix it, right? No other seller can do that. Or a license to your website to see a certain portion of it or copyright material that nobody else can deliver or post-sale services. Um, some of the health and beauty companies do this very well, that if you buy like their shampoo and conditioner, you can call and speak to their cosmetologist about how to best shave my head using their razor, right? So if you add something where it's a post-sale benefit, you know, third-party sellers don't have access to your staff. So product by product by product, we can almost always find something that a private label seller can deliver to a consumer that uh, another third-party seller can't. Got it. So I'm thinking like, um, you know, an, an ebook or guide or something like that. So <clears throat> obviously, um, you know, we've all seen the, those listings that, that throw those things in there. Um, is it enough to just have that, you know, displayed and advertised on a listing or do you actually need to copyright the ebook, like do that legally or? You don't need to copyright an ebook because uh, you have copyright interest in it without filing anything. Just as soon as you create it and save it, you own it. Okay. Uh, but an ebook is a great way. And what's even, you can even add to that is sort of ongoing updates about your products that are also copyright material. Mm. So, you know, warranties, listen, warranties are like cell phones, right? A cell phone used to be for making phone calls. But now it's for email, it's for web browsing, it's for buying stuff, and it's like the, everyone's got their camera. It's a lot more. Warranties used to be to protect the consumer, but now warranties are used to stop other people from selling your products, develop customer loyalty, keep them updated. You know, use your warranty as sort of an upsell for future products. There's a lot of stuff when it comes to private label sellers that you can use that warranty for. It's not just for protecting the consumer anymore. It's for growing the private label brand. Yep. And so, because um, I know on the Amazon, how do you, uh, what's the best way to advertise to the customer that your um, product does come with a warranty? Because I know you can't put that keyword in the, in the copy. You can put it right in one of the bullet points. Like when you're creating it, there's a spot to upload your warranty. And oh. it still blows my mind how many brands, large and small, don't upload their warranty. And also just don't rewrite it in a way that protects them. The vast majority of third-party sellers selling other brands' products are not hijacking because they're delivering the same exact thing, right? But if you think about it as you're developing your brand, what, what can we add to it? And warranty is an easy one because warranty, you can write it kind of once and then apply it. You know, your whole product line could have the same warranty that you've only written once. You don't need to pay me more than one time to do it. Just copy mm -hmm. and paste it for all your, your products. Got it. Um, <clears throat> cool. So, okay, warranty section. Look out for that. Talking to myself uh, and, and everyone. Um, that's something in the back end that you can fill out. 
uh, I'm guessing. Um, okay, cool. Um, another idea is you could probably put that somewhere in the images, um, you know, put that in there. Um, make that very clear what's included. And then for, uh, I know another common tactic is to have customers uh, opt into your warranty uh, by putting their email ad address in via uh, an insert card on their uh, packaging uh, via QR code or a link or something that they go to. Um, so first of all, is that totally, is that within terms of service or is that kind of a gray area? And um, what's, what's best practices there? I believe the warranty card is entirely within the TOS, or at least there's nothing in the new TOS uh, that prohibits it. Okay, so I think that's totally fine. But it really is the warranty itself. Okay, if you can imagine like there's a truckload of your products that you've now sold to a brick and mortar store with your warranty card that an Amazon seller picks up at a discount and starts flooding the Amazon market with it. It's real, it's genuine, they mail the card in, you're stuck, right? But that warranty has to differentiate based upon who sold them the product, right? And it really, the warranty has to be written in a way uh, that nobody else can deliver upon it, mm. okay? If it, and also, I'll, I'll throw it out there, like, if it's just a money-back guarantee, forget it. It's useless because money is homogenous. Anybody can return money. And with the A to Z claim, everyone gets that anyway. So it's got to be something more. Wustoff does a great job. Uh, there are certain products where safety recalls are a potential issue. And, you know, if, if you own the brand, the federal government's going to contact you. They're not going to contact other third-party sellers. It really is a product-by-product product thing. Okay, what do we add to this product? Is it a booklet like you described, copyright material? Is it updating the warranty? Is it some kind of post-sale service that will also help grow the business over the long haul? You know, you really kind of look at each one. And we, we become, not to pat myself on the back, um, our managing attorney in this area, his name is Rob Siegel, and he is a remarkable lawyer. And I, I have not seen a product yet that Rob or myself or my partner Anthony has been unable to figure out something to add to it that nobody else can deliver. Got it. Okay. So that's a, yeah, that's a must. You might as well do that. Um, <clears throat> so I'm thinking like um, on some warranties, I see uh, like a, like a, you know, a one year replacement guarantee. Um, something like that, um, or you know, maybe even longer. Um, let's see. You you gave the idea uh, access to uh, content on their website. Um, maybe you know they get a username and, and log into their website. Boom! No one else can do that. Instant. Bada bing. Bada boom. Yep. If you look at the warranties, the shorter period of time, the less effective. Uh, Otterbox, right? I'm a big Otterbox. I love my Otterbox case, right? right? I think if I could throw this thing against the wall, it'll be fine. Otterbox has a lifetime warranty, okay? Mm -hmm. And that has been supported by Amazon and supported by courts around the country, right? Now, that comes with a downside, right? That means you're responsible for that product for life. So somewhere between, you know, a year and lifetime might be a good mix for a particular product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that lifetime, a lot of sellers, yeah, it makes sense. Um, <clears throat> okay, cool. So, oh, let's see, question about... Um, I've had other, um, similar products straight up copy and paste my title and bullet points and just change a few things. Um, is, if I write my title and bullet points and or description, is that instant? Do I have an instant copyright on that and anything I can do about that? It is. It's instant copyright. You own hmm. that verbiage. However, if the verbiage is very generic, you know, like ballpoint pen, 
you know, you don't own copyrighted generic language. So it's somewhere between the two. But if you do this really great description of it, you own that. As long as you create something and it's, it's frozen in some type of media, you have a copyright interest in it. But it also can't be overly generic. You know, uh, ballpoint pen, you're not going to get copyrighted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I crafted my sweet title and bullet points and they straight up copied it. And we found it. We were like, oh my God, that's hilarious. So um, so an average private label seller, what's the plan of action? What should they do from there? Okay. Private label sellers, one, look at your products and make sure there's something there that nobody else can deliver. If you can't figure it out, it doesn't come to you, contact us. You know, here's the number behind me, right? free consultations, and it doesn't take usually much time at all to try and figure something out for you. Number two, when you do have hijackers, take it as a compliment that your product is starting to kill it, okay? But then reach out to through a messenger system and explain what it is that they are failing to deliver to Amazon's consumers and that you don't want to have to make a complaint, but if they keep stealing, wood, they keep stealing food off your plate, you're going to have to do it, right? So send them a reason why, give them a short deadline, and then the sellers that refuse to jump off, you know, then you go through Amazon's system and make a complaint. But you need to know this, okay? okay? Um, every single IP complaint made against an Amazon seller might put that seller out of business. And do you really want to do that to somebody? And also, do you really want that liability? Okay, mm -hmm. that seller can come after you too if you cost a lot of money and damages. Mm -hmm. So it really is a, a last resort, both I think ethically, morally, and from a business perspective, it's really easy for a pissed off seller to trash your brand. So don't make complaints unless you absolutely have no choice. Okay, cool. Have you noticed any trend as far as uh, most of these complaints and false IP claims coming, coming from, say, Chinese sellers uh, against uh, uh, you know, Western sellers, for example? No, we see the vast majority of the complaints coming from U.S. companies who have brand management, brand managers who don't know how to work the platform. So they'll just make a, a baseless counterfeit complaint, right? A baseless trademark complaint. And that's really how most third-party sellers get hurt from Amazon's you know, wide open system. Um, what we see in terms of coming from China is a lot of Chinese sellers have vendor accounts. And for some reason, vendor accounts allow them to change branded listings and hijack the whole listing. So we see a lot of that coming out of China. We don't see a whole lot of the basic IP complaints uh, coming from sellers or brands located in China. Mm. Okay, cool. So if, so if a, a private label person has a complaint, um, either about a hijacker or another listing, like using their images or their, or their title and bullet points straight up copy-paste, um, first thing would contact the seller. Second thing, contact Amazon. And then third team, thing, contact lawyer. If they can handle it themselves, you never need a lawyer, okay? I would say first contact the hijacker first mm -hmm. amicably. And if that point, if that seller um, doesn't agree to stop selling your product, I would say contact us next. We'll, we're probably more persuasive than the average seller. You know, they hear from a law firm, people get nervous. and I'm not saying that's good or bad. Uh, but I would do that before you make a complaint against Amazon. Because if you make a complaint on Amazon, you are putting that seller's entire livelihood at risk. Okay? Mm -hmm. And you put them at risk, you put yourself at risk, and our community at risk. Because they can easily trash your brand. Uh, and then 
go to Amazon. But I would, I would explore all options first to get them to amicably stop selling your product. Got it. And another common thing is, um, <clears throat> is images, um, other similar products using your images, um, not just the exact same, you know, infographic, but just the photo that you took. Do we have an instant copyright on that? And is that grounds for contacting the seller and saying, you know, uh, stop using this image, you know, or else? 100% yes, you own the image. Even if they take the image and they alter it a bit, it's still your image. You take a camera, you take a photograph, you have copyright interest in that photograph. 100% slam dunk, no doubt about it. Like, boom, home run. Okay, awesome. All right, cool, yeah. Um, that has happened to me as well. Um, <clears throat> and uh, of course, you know, if you guys are still listening, um, along those lines, having a unique product um, is, is gonna be, that's the another huge thing. The more unique your product, I always say, the better it's going to sell. If you're getting into private label, figure out a way to make it unique in some way. Uh, that way you, you most likely don't even need to worry about other people stealing your images because yours is totally unique and you're going to make the most money that way anyway. Um, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, we got lots of tips and tricks here. This is awesome. Um, what's next? What other uh, common things do you see or what else did you uh, have on the list? All right. Let me get to the next page. We jumped around a little bit. Sure. You know, I hate to be sort of a doom and gloom type person. I'm trying to find something positive here <laughs> uh, for Amazon sellers. Okay. Uh, in terms of the selling ID being out there, most of the positive stuff is going to be if you own your own brand or you are a broad enough seller that you're developing, you know, like a brand loyalty. Okay. You know, Amazon has always considered the consumers to be Amazon's customer, right? But brands like uh, pluggable, which makes like, you know, all sorts of computer adapters, uh, Bernie Thompson is the principal uh, anchor, right? A lot of clothing brands have built their brands solely on Amazon. And I think by revealing who the seller is, they're giving smaller sellers the opportunity to sort of do the same thing that you know if you're shopping from this particular seller, you're always going to get genuine products. They're always going to stand behind it. They will always give you a refund if there's an issue. So I think on the positive note, it's going to allow a lot of sellers who may not have had the opportunity otherwise to sort of develop a brand, even though they're selling other people and other companies' products. Mm. Ah, interesting. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Oh, um, just a, a note about hijackers and other people selling your items on your listing. Um, what I found, because a lot of private labelers and many brands, um, what, who this ends up being is people who got the product for free and they just want to flip it. And so... Um, just so you know, newbies listening, uh, you know many many brands, many products. They'll give away some free units at the beginning, um, and then and then people will will they'll opt into that deal, and then they'll flip it back on Amazon um, for for pure profit, basically, uh, by going to Seller Central, click add a, add an item, they put in the exact uh, ASIN, and then they just lower the price, you know, a few bucks or whatever, and then they get pure profit from that, um, you know, aside from Amazon fees. Um, have you noticed, is that like the majority of hijackers? Because in that, in that case, you know, it's, 
they're only going to have like one unit or like maybe a few if they took like a bunch of those freebie deals. Have you, have you noticed like that's mostly who these hijackers are? No, no. We, there's definitely a lot of that that goes on, especially as sellers use launch companies, whether they're giving products away or selling them it with coupon codes and rebates and yeah. at a significant lower price. They just take it and flip it back at the regular price. But those are, you know, they definitely exist, but I don't see it being a major source of hijackers. Mm. Most hijackers are third-party sellers who get the inventory. Could be from the same factory or from liquidators or suppliers or even buying it from your own website and then get on and sell it. And that's why you got to build something in that other people and companies that can't deliver. Uh, That's the vast majority of hijackers. The next category of hijackers are basically down-and-out counterfeiters. Uh. Okay especially higher end products um, where you're selling a really high end product, but it can be counterfeited in a cheaper way uh, by factories, you know, in China, in Thailand, in Vietnam, right? All over the world. That is a huge source of hijacking issues. We have a high quality product and you're charging a premium, but someone wants to sell it with like, you know, a softer metal in the blade. It's the same. It looks like a scissor but the hijacker's blade is made out of a softer material or it's not as sharp. And that's a huge, huge source of hijackers down and out counterfeit. Got straight cop. Okay, cool. And then maybe the third is just people who got it for free and they, you know, went some rebate sites or whatever, and they're just flipping them, making a couple extra bucks. Or Uh, even drop shipping from the private label seller, him or herself. Oh, yeah. Brick and mortar stores, your other websites. A lot of private label brands will make distribution deals with people and companies, right? They just take it and they just throw it through their sister, brother, mother, you know, through an account on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Garage sale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Um, let's see. So another common thing I get from people is um, regarding patents. So um, yeah. What, what's the deal on patents? What's, I don't know, what's the com- most common uh, issue you run into regarding patents and yeah, what should people know if they're uh, you know, a private label seller? Okay. When it comes to a design patent, which is sort of how a product looks, the big issue is, is the new product, right? Is it different enough than the patents, patented product, right? Like we have a ton of these cases with diaper bags. I mean, I can't even tell you how many cases with diaper bags where someone added a pocket, added a zipper, added a place to keep the bottle warm, added a place to keep the bottle cold, a pocket for wipes, right? A pocket for used wipes, right? And the big question there is, did they change it enough that they're no longer violating a design patent? When it comes to utility patents, and it's like a brand new invention, like, I just, I got these. These are bone conduction headsets, Yeah. right? So you can run and ride your bike, right? Or your motorcycle, listen to music, but still hear everything around you, right? So an invention is a utility patent, right? And if someone's violating that, Amazon has a great system in place called the Neutral Patent Evaluation System, where for four grand, rather than spending 50 in court, you can get a decision by an arbitrator within Amazon to either uphold your patent or say, nope, they're not violating it. So those are the two biggest issues when it comes to our patents. Or if you are in the UK, patents. What is that uh, in the UK? It's called they call it patent. It's spelled the same way. Oh, oh. In the US it's patent. You in oh, the UK okay. patent. 
Oh, okay. In the UK, it's patent. Yes. What do I do about my patent, Riley? Yes, my lord. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, AJ, okay. what, are your what are your thoughts on uh, this new service offered by Amazon called IP Accelerator? I think it's fantastic. I mean, it literally, we literally closed down, closed down our trademark application business. Closed it, okay? Because while Amazon's guys are charging, you know, more money for it, you get brand registry like within a week rather than waiting nine months for the USPTO to respond. Sure. So people still call us. I'm like, I cannot take your money for this. Use the IP Accelerator program. So I think it's absolutely great. Um, and if, if people don't know this yet, it's also getting abused in a very creative way, right? So let's say, I'll, tell tell you, so I'll show you how. So this is my Western Digital hard drive, right? Okay. So what I can do or what we've seen sellers do is they go to Amazon's IP Accelerator and hire their lawyers and say, I want to trademark for Western Digital, right? And they pay the money, they file the mark, and then they'll get brand registry for a trademark that they're never going to get. Mm. It's never going to be approved, but they'll get brand registry, you know, for, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months while it's sort of working its way through the system. So we've seen that a lot, that kind of abuse. We haven't done, I don't know about of our clients have done it, mm. uh, but we've heard of a lot of, a lot of sellers in Asia. And in a case like advantage. that, let's say you do something like this, you abuse the system and then for, the, for that duration of seven, eight months, you make a lot of money. And then once your, patent, your trademark is declined, can the rightful owners of that patent come back to you and ask you for basically to, to refund them all the money you earned uh, illegally on, uh, using their name and their brand? Can, I'm sure they can do that, right? Uh, they can. They can definitely sue. A lot of cases mm -hmm. are filed in the Northern District of Illinois, which is the courthouse in Chicago. You know, we are there all the time in terms of cases, and you certainly can, but the sellers who are doing this usually getting in, making as much money as they can and getting back out, and they're usually overseas in a country where a U.S. judgment's never going to touch them. For example, from China? Listen, I, I, I love my Chinese business colleagues and my Chinese clients. Listen, in any society, okay? You have great business people, awful, and everything in between. Sure. So I cannot confirm or deny that a lot of the people in companies abusing IP Accelerator are located in China. Yep. Um, <clears throat> regarding patents, so um, this may not be. Um, so I have an I have an invention idea. It's in my head. I got some drawings. What's the best way for someone like me to patent my idea? Okay, if it is a design idea, how it looks like it's just it's another diaper bag and you just made it better, okay? I would suggest you go to the USPTO, you find the similar ones, make sure you do the best that you can on a search and try it yourself. If you're uncomfortable, you know, then you got to hire a patent lawyer. Uh, we use a guy, his name is Lance Johnson. He is in uh, outside of D.C. He is a phenomenal lawyer. He's also become a good friend. But I could also give you several other referrals. But if you can't do it yourself, you got to use it. It's a specialized bar. Not every lawyer can, can write up patent applications. But if you have a great idea, I think it's worthwhile. Design patents are probably going to cost you, I don't know, maybe like two to 5000 to get it done. 
If it's a utility, it's more like, you know, five to 20,000 to get the application done based upon the complexity of the product. But mm. if it's a new, it's a better mousetrap, you might as well file and get those rights. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Utility patent. Yeah. I, I think I have a utility patent. So utility patent is a, um, how it works. So a, a unique, uh, um, something that has a unique function and, and usefulness, right? Correct. hundred percent. Correct. Okay. Got it. Um, and basically the patent application process in a nutshell is you have to submit all these like detailed drawings and descriptions, right? Yep. Detailed. Well, the first thing that the lawyer should do is a search to make sure that to the best of his or her ability, there's nobody who already has it. Right. Because you don't want to spend all that money on the drawings and the description, yeah. the filing, if someone already has it. So you should do a search first, and then assuming that you're clear or they believe it's going to go through, you know, then then it's the application. But that's purely, purely in the, for a patent lawyer. I, it, it's definitely above my pay scale. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and um, okay. Cool. Good to know. Uh, and then. Back to the design patents for, for Amazon sellers. So, you know, if, if, if they know something has a design patent and they want to make it a little bit different, is it pretty much just up to their discretion? Just like, you know, there's no way to know if it will hold up in court or whatever. Just like try to make it as different as possible and hope for the best or? Yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, usually it's pretty clear. If it's clearly, clearly a different design, it's easy to tell. If it is clearly a copycat, exactly the same, that's easy. It's the stuff in the middle. And what they apply is what's called the Egyptian goddess test, right? It's just for a case that had to do with an Egyptian goddess product. But it's more like, you know, the duck test. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, yeah. it's got feathers like a duck, it's probably a duck. Yeah. It, a lot of it's that. So if your common sense says it's too close, you're probably too close. Got it. Makes sense. You hear that, guys? All right, there you go. Um, okay, cool, cool, cool. This is uh, this is great stuff. I, I definitely have some patent ideas. I always wanted to get made utility patent five to twenty k. Be expecting that. Um, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, what other what other common issues? What what else you got on there? Payment? Anything from you? Um, yeah. Um, any, anything? Any other common uh, common issues you wanted to get into, CJ? No, I think we're covering a lot of stuff here. We're still putting together, I anticipate having about 40 different issues that Amazon sellers can expect coming down the pipe. Um, I wouldn't stress too much about it. Amazon has instituted dozens, if not hundreds of new programs over the years, and it's always erratic. It's just another bump in the road in, in this life as an entrepreneur. So I wouldn't stress too much about it. Learn what you can and, and make decisions based upon what's in front of you. What about reviews, for example? What kind of reviews are currently allowed? Because I understand that now you can no longer go to a friend and family. And I heard some people saying you just call them, tell them the name of your brand, and then they can search it. So what are the things that we need to be aware of when it comes to getting reviews, especially when you're first launching a product, as far as the legalities are concerned? Well, the best reviews are the ones that are organic, but you know those are hard to come by. Uh, you are allowed to use coupon codes and that sort of thing. Um, I could just kind of tell you where the problems are, right? Yeah. If you are incentivizing reviews and you get caught, you are dead in the water, okay? Amazon has been monitoring Facebook and Facebook groups more carefully than ever, 
right? So if you're doing a launch on Facebook and incentivizing things in Facebook to funnel things to Amazon, you got to be really careful. And if you're using like a third party vendor, a launch service, just do your homework. And if it's too good to be true, you know, it's too good to be true. Well, for example, mm. let's say you're running some Facebook ads and when the Facebook ads take them to a landing page, which gives them say a 10%, 15% coupon discount. Is that on the right side or on the wrong side of the uh, Amazon term of services? If it's starting on Facebook and they can get a coupon to use on Amazon, mm -hmm. I think that's okay. okay. If it starts on Amazon and leads you off of Amazon to get the coupon code, Amazon does not like people being led off of its website. Sure. Uh, so those two, those two kind of the streams are different. Off Amazon, no good. Sending people through Amazon is generally good. Uh huh. What uh, do you know that the coupon threshold for um, customers that are able to leave a review is it like fifty percent or more? They're not able to at all, or not verified, or do you know the number there? You know what? One, I don't. I don't know if there is an exact number. Um, I don't know what it is. So I'm not even sure if it exists, like how much of a coupon code uh, is acceptable. I don't remember seeing that in the terms of service. Uh, and I went through every line of that thing last summer when it first came out. We've got like, you know, 20 videos explaining the new paragraphs. I don't remember there being anything that specific. And Amazon generally leaves things very amorphous so that it can use it to however it wants to apply it, you know, to any seller at any point in time, yeah. even erratically. Makes sense. Um, about Amazon monitoring Facebook, um, <clears throat> monitoring Facebook. So um, I, I tell everyone now, no, I mean, this has kind of been obvious, but no friends and no Facebook friends um, don't have, even if they buy your product organically, tell them to not leave a review. Because uh, I've actually gotten a warning from Amazon um, twice that says, hey, um, basically stop no friends and family uh, leaving reviews. Um, so how do you know that Amazon has been monitoring Facebook groups? I'm very curious. I know just from speaking with the clients who have been dinged with review manipulation. We ask, how did you launch? What did you do? And the ones that say, I've only done Facebook, you know, same thing, friends and family. Uh, that's it. That's how they got caught. So that's how we know. It's not in Amazon's TOS that you can't go on Facebook. In fact, if you look at some of their policies, it indicates that you can do that type of, uh, of launch and marketing. Uh, but that, our information comes from sellers and also then combining all the different sellers that we deal with. You know, we're a big operation now. We're about 30 people. And every single Monday, we have a worldwide meeting. And then almost every day, uh, the teams interconnect and start trading ideas. So my knowledge comes from Amazon staff, Amazon executives, my own team, thousands of sellers every year. And so I am a thousand percent convinced that Amazon is absolutely monitoring Facebook. And I think other platforms as well, but not as much as Facebook is such a Goliath. But if you're doing the same thing, like I'm not an Insta guy, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're doing the same thing on Instagram, you know, I, I think the same thing's going to happen. So you got to be really careful what you do. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so for people, newbies listening, basically what you can't do is you can't promise something free or something that they're going to get in exchange if they leave a review. Get this if you leave a review. Free if you leave a review. You basically can't do that. That's called incentivizing reviews. Um, 
know, oops, um, biasing uh, reviews. But to my understanding, what you can do is you can give away a product for free or have a, a free after rebate or something, um, some sort of giveaway promotion. As long as you don't say only if you leave the review. You can say reviews are very welcome uh, and appreciated. As long as you say that, as long as you don't say review is required, that's okay. Am I correct to assume that? My understanding is that's good. Um, also, uh, one of the big problems that sellers have is that they'll have a funnel for reviews, right? And if you love this product, it takes you to Amazon, right? If you don't love the product, it takes you someplace else. That's another way that sellers get caught all the time. Okay. So, for example, in your follow-up emails, two different buttons. Um, okay. What, what if... What, what have you noticed with that? Because obviously if, if it's in the Amazon uh, system, um, follow-up emails, um, you've seen sellers get caught for that. And um, what, what would happen in that case? Like have you seen sellers get their account like um, totally, um, totally closed down or just suspended or what usually happens? The cases we see review manipulation, the account is suspended and we can usually get them back on, but review review manipulation is tough. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking at Amazon like as a long-term business, right, you really may want to think twice. I know reviews drive traffic. In fact, we are a huge company in terms of obtaining reviews. We send out a free book. I send a free book. I'm like, hey, if you like the book, please leave us a review on Google or YouTube or something like that. But if you look at it long-term, I would say if you if you can have the reviews develop organically, and just the big issues are don't incentivize and don't have the review the reviewer go someplace else based on whether it's a good or a bad review. Uh, but also your request for reviews should be kind of innocuous. Shouldn't be like if you want to leave us a great review, right? Go here. It should be like you know uh, please leave a review. Something more generic. Uh, but again, I also only deal with the problems. Like no one ever calls me and said, I got 500 reviews, right? And everything is great. Those people don't call me. And I'm like the, uh, the oncologist. Like you only call me when you're sick, mm -hmm. right? And we're really good at, at dealing with the issues, but no one ever calls me that they pulled some type of scam and it worked out great. I don't get those calls. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, yeah, totally got it. So, yeah, um... So when you've seen people get caught, like when, when an account gets suspended, what does that mean? Is there, does Amazon say, okay, you're on timeout for a month or something? Or what was suspended mean? It'll mean that you can't sell anything at all. You're still expected to fulfill orders, but Amazon's going to hold on to your money until you write what's called a plan of action or an Amazon appeal that satisfies Amazon's reader that they're not going to have problems with you in the future. So when it comes to review manipulation, it's often very fruitful to blame an outside vendor, right? And that's usually the cause that people will hire someone who says, I can get your reviews, right? And they do it in a way that violates the TOS and then you get suspended. So what do you do? You stop using that service. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd probably say 40% of our practice is doing nothing but writing plans of action and Amazon appeals oh. for all sorts of issues, including uh, review manipulation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Plan of action. Okay. Yeah. I've, 
I've had to do that for something. I forget what it is. They'll send you a message. Hey, send us the plan of action, how you're going to fix this. Write us an essay on how you're going to be better next time. Yeah, That's exactly yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, what sellers need to know is you should never, ever, ever admit to violating the terms of service, mm. okay, unless you did and you know you got caught, mm. all right? Because that once you do that, you are just giving Amazon all the power in the world, right, to say yes or no. So you, if you can, you can always argue things about being better without admitting that you did something wrong. And of Got course, it. claiming that you didn't know the law, that doesn't fly, that doesn't work, eh? <laughs> you can say you're going to study the rules better, mm -hmm. but I would never write, I broke the rules. Sure. Unless you did and you got caught. Mm -hmm. Got it, got it, got it. Um, okay, okay. These are, these are great tips. Um, <clears throat> coming up on an hour here. Uh, any, any other uh, quick tips you, uh, that you wanted to share before we um, start wrapping it up? I would just say this, if you're an Amazon seller, new uh, or experienced or somewhere in between, and you just want some information, go to the website. We've got videos and blog posts. I mean, literally thousands and thousands of pages of free information. We wrote six different books just on selling on Amazon. And I'm a huge believer in that jab, 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 right hook where you give away information, give away information. So take our information. AmazonSellersLawyer.com, thousands of pages of content, six free books. Uh, and if you need help, my team is second to none on the planet at writing plans of action for you. I was just looking at your uh, YouTube channel, especially the videos and playlists. I mean, that alone can keep someone busy for at least three weeks just watching nonstop your videos. And I post in our Facebook group. I mean, that's something that it's a wealth of, uh, you know, knowledge. So thank you for that. We'll definitely... Post, I already posted, so yeah. Thank you. Listen, I, I appreciate it. Um, I learn from sellers. I learn from you guys. I learn at all the events around the world, and we try and share it. We share what we know. It helps sellers and grow. Yeah, awesome. the reason the reason we're doing these uh, expert uh, webinars, we we invite uh, key uh, uh, expert and and uh, and key related areas of uh, of e-commerce and Amazon. When it came to legal aspect, there was only one name that came to mind, and that of course was you. And I'm very glad that after it took us almost a month of back and forth, but we finally made it. So thank you once again, CJ. You're amazing. Uh, looking forward to meeting you again uh, when uh, travel opens again. So yeah, thanks, my friend. Uh, thank you. We have our a couple of our students on the, on the call right now. Do you guys have any uh, quick question to ask CJ? So this is your time. Abraham, Didi, Jess, you have any question right now? This is your shot. You have the best lawyer for Amazon related stuff. So, I have a quick question uh, about LLCs. Um, is there a value in setting up an LLC, your, your LLC outside of the state that you live in? Yeah, it depends on where you live. You know, if you live I in live, Wyoming I live, or. I live in Colorado, and um, I know there was some talk about setting it up someplace else, like Delaware or Wyoming or some, someplace like that. All right, so I can't tell you what Colorado's laws are because I don't know. I'm not a Colorado lawyer. I can tell you that Wyoming, Delaware, and New York are almost always at the forefront of whatever the newest thing is to add to corporate protection. Then the rest of the states kind of follow. Um, 
I would take a look. The most important thing, if it is important to you, is whether or not your estate discloses who the shareholders are. And if that's important to you, that you don't want to be disclosed, go someplace else. But other than that, generally, for most business people, doing it in your home state is going to be fine and it will save you money when it comes to like tax returns and that sort of thing. Uh, just uh, bouncing yeah. off of that, for someone that is not American, I'm Canadian, so which state would you recommend for someone that is not American to re register an LLC in the U.S.? Uh, Delaware, Wyoming, or New York. Okay. Um, okay. So, anyway, so awesome. that's what I would check out. And you, you, that, that question is probably better answered by a local lawyer about what differences there might be. But for most businesses, it's just easier to do it in your home state. Got it. Cool. Got it. Cool. Thank you very uh, much. Yeah. Abe or, Abe or Jess, any, any other quick questions before we wrap her up? Uh, I have a quick question. Sure. Can you hear me? Yep, okay. we can hear you. Um, so in about a year, I plan on moving outside of the United States. Would it be worth it to register the LLC in the United States if I plan on maybe transferring it to something outside of the United States at some point? I would say 100% yes, okay? Okay. Amazon historically tends to treat U.S. corporations, I would say, uh, better, right? It's easier to deal with. The banking's easier. Dealing with your taxes is easier. So I would say develop it here in the United States before you go. You can always pivot later once you land wherever it is that you're going. But I would certainly set it up. I'd also make sure you have an address that can stay constant here in the States so wherever you are, they'll forward information to you. But I would certainly do that, get the bank account set up, the corporation or the LLC set up get the insurance while you're here. Uh, most insurance uh, brokers can't sell to sellers who are located outside the U.S. So you set it up here, you insure it, and then you go wherever you want. Um, that, that's what I'd recommend. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Just one last question, CJ. So, for example, get, coming back to my situation, uh, would it be better for me to open an LLC, say, here in Ontario or somewhere in the U.S. if I want to sell, say, in not just the U.S., but in North America? I don't really know the answer that whether mm -hmm. whether what is accepted in the U.S. in terms of Canada, United States or not. Uh, so the general answer, I'd probably say set up in the U.S., but you may not have to when it comes to Canada. There's so much business goes back and forth. It may not even mm -hmm. matter. I'm not sure about that. Okay. And for you, you're on the East Coast, right? I'm in Toronto. Yes, East Coast. Yeah. Okay. So you could always set one up, in, you know, in Buffalo. You know, oh, in, okay. uh, right across the border in New York State. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I know, I know that Canada has prohibited Americans from coming up because our coronavirus is out of control. Yes. And then Trump in a tit for tat said, okay, you can't come down here. <laughs> right? yeah. A month later. And I'm not pro or anti-Trump. This is not a political show. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think there are, there are tons of Canadians who are trying to race into the United States right now anyway. No. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, uh, CJ, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing all those tips and tricks. I think people are going to love this episode. Um, yeah, guys, go check it out, AmazonSellersLawyer.com for all your uh, legal needs and uh, more information about all this stuff. So thanks again. Yeah, this is there's only one lawyer you need to c consult, guys, when it comes to anything Amazon, and you have it right here, Mr. CJ. Thank you, guys. Very appreciated. You're Very welcome. Humble. Thank you. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the FBA Lifestyle Podcast. Don't forget to follow on all podcast platforms, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to fast track your first or next FBA product? 
ready to create a real product that leaves the competition in the dust? Then check out the 90-Day FBA Challenge, a 12-week accelerator program with weekly coaching calls where we help you go from zero idea what to sell to a product live on Amazon within 90 days. And download the free Amazon Secrets ebook, FBA Lifestyle, The Amazon Experts. Start your FBA business. Achieve the freedom lifestyle.